What's news in Utah polygamy culture? Next on Polygamy, what love is this? Because of the coronavirus, we haven't been taping new shows lately, but as we carefully begin our our taping schedule, you will notice that our co-host Earl Erskine is temporarily absent. Now he is doing okay, he's healthy, he hasn't been sick and he's not sick, he's just being extra careful for a little while. So our co-host today is Dorothy Catlin and she has been our guest on our show several times in the past when we were doing the live shows on TV20. She portrayed a few of the women whom Joseph Smith had pursued I would like to introduce and thank Dorothy Catlin for filling in the gap here. (laughs) It was a long time ago. It's been a long time. Now, I just heard this morning um, of a new project that you and your husband are going to be getting into with a radio Mm -hmm. program. Would you like to tell the viewers a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, As best I can think of it, uh, we have been invited to do a half an hour radio show on uh, AM820. And um, it's going to be called Ink More Than Ink. Uh, And we're going to spend half an hour talking to each other about the scriptures, about how relevant they are, that it's not just a dead book like some Mm -hmm. other religious text. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be very informal. It'll be just Jim and I talking about uh, whatever it is that we are studying and how that is relevant to our lives. We've been doing this for 50 plus years yeah, and so yeah, it's um, gonna be good and that's 8 20 a.m 8 20 a.m and it's going to air on saturday mornings at uh, i think at 10 o'clock uh-huh. starting in august in august okay yeah. so, so we're, we're still shaping it but yeah. it's uh, uh, it's going to happen, I think. Uh, and it gets, uh, and as it gets closer, we'll remind our viewers yeah. that, that that's what's going to happen. I look forward to I have to remind it. myself it's yes. going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, now, some of the news. This is update on what happened in, in during the coronavirus crisis um, in polygamy groups because the, the crisis took the news, took the center stage of the news, yeah. every newscast. And, and uh, so what was going on in polygamy groups actually got very little attention. So we're going to go through some of that this time. The the first news item is that the 2020 Utah State Legislature introduced and passed a bill that decriminalized polygamy in Utah. Now, of course, polygamists supported the bill, and many people noticed that the LDS Church was suspiciously silent about it, and we can't help but wonder why. Because if the LDS Church didn't want the bill passed, they would have said so, and it wouldn't have passed. But their silence was very deafening. Before the bill passed in February, the Deseret News printed a letter from a concerned reader asking some very good questions and making some refreshing and intelligent observations. Dorothy is going to share some of those comments. So the Utah State Senate, this is quoting from Valerie M. Hudson, Hudson, University Distinguished Professor at the Bush School of Government and Public Service. So this is what she wrote. The Utah State Senate has voted to decriminalize polygamy between consenting adults, making bigamy and polygamy an infraction rather than a felony. Fines and community service would be the extent of legal enforcement akin to a traffic ticket. In 2011, the Supreme Court of British Columbia was asked to rule on the constitutionality of Canada's ban on polygamy. One of the star witnesses was Professor Rose McDermott of Brown University, who has penned an entire volume called The Evils of Polygony. 
Summarizing her extensive research, McDermott finds a statistically significant relationship between the legality and prevalence of polygamy within a country, on the one hand, and what they call an entire downstream suite of negative consequences for men, women, children, and the nation-state, on the other. Their data analysis points to a significant relationship between polygamy and poor outcomes, including higher levels of sex trafficking and higher levels of domestic violence. It should raise a huge red flag for the legislature that even the very open-minded and progressive Canadians and Europeans reject the path of polygamy decriminalization. Perhaps it's time for additional homework on this subject before voting. We suggest bringing out Professor McDermott to testify at the next set of hearings. And I was surprised the Deseret News printed that and very good comments. Yeah. Now, the legislature, what they did was they they appeared to reply or rely on the pro-polygamist agenda. Uh, both the Senate and the House passed the bill quickly. It went through so fast you couldn't get a word in. And the governor signed the bill when it went to his desk. And the second week in May, the bill became law in Utah. And all of this in the midst of victims and former victims asking to be heard, but a death fear was all they got. Sadly, people who never personally experienced polygamy themselves were the ones instrumental in getting it passed. A few years ago, as, the, as uh, Dorothy's quote said, uh, Canada had revisited the polygamy question to determine if they should decriminalize polygamy, and they listened to everyone who was willing to testify. Psychologists, doctors, ex-polygamists, pro-polygamists, court and legal history of polygamy in Canada were all taken into consideration, and in the end, they kept it criminalized. Did Utah ever ask why? Several professional reports were published as a result of the Canadian inquiry, and they concluded that polygamy is inherently harmful to women and children. Valerie Hudson, whom we quoted earlier, said this as well. Yeah, here she says, by prohibiting polygamy, we reduce social inequities, violence toward, men, toward women and children, as well as increase political rights and civil liberties for all. All of this research weighed heavily on the subsequent ruling upholding Canada's ban on the practice. The full judgment of the B.C. court can be found online and should be read by any Utah state legislator before voting on this important issue. And we agree. Absolutely. It would have been wise if, mm -hmm. if every Utah legislature who did vote on the ISC to have been required to read the entire Canadian case, which resulted in maintaining their ban on polygamy. The argument to decriminalize polygamy was based on the idea that abuses within the groups will more likely be officially reported if the victims had no fear of the law coming after their loved ones who were polygamists. Those of us who grew up in polygamy disagree wholeheartedly and loudly with that reasoning. The fear that children experience in polygamy is not fear of arrest, nearly as much as fear from within the group itself not from outside of it. They don't fear the law. They've proven through decades of thumbing their noses at the law. Decriminalizing polygamy will not solve their fear-mongering, but it will give more and more encroaching power to the polygamous communities and the leaders themselves. It's been years and years since anyone in Utah has been prosecuted for polygamy alone. Utah adopted the policy that they will only prosecute other crimes within polygamy, but even those prosecutions were rare. 
I have a quote from a former FLDS, Brenda Nicholson, who was always willing to tell the truth about her experiences and share her knowledge of the workings of the FLDS polygamy group. She shared some of what happened when the food stamp fraud crime of a few years ago was being prosecuted. She gave the FBI and other officials detailed information of how the FLDS leaders treated women, how they relocated women and children without permission, how the fraud was perpetrated. We quote some of what she said. I printed out and compiled information about the food stamps program and what the rules and laws are for participating. I explained where these people absolutely knew they were breaking the law and what I had personally witnessed before I escaped. I told them that they had not only the right, but an obligation to check on these women and children, even without all the evidence of fraud. When we were on food stamps, it was made very clear that they had the right to do surprise inspections. I explained that the rules had been broken every time these women were relocated without informing the state of the move. Also, every time a dependent child was removed from their home, they were required to report it or when any changes in a household occurred. These were families that had been shredded and they often didn't even know where their children were. They needed to have private individual meetings because I honestly believe that there are many women who, if they were outside of the men's control and didn't have others watching them and intimidating their answers, would ask for help to leave and get their kids out. They did nothing. That tells a lot, doesn't mm -hmm. it? She sat through multiplied hours and days of hearings and heard Mormonism dominate the proceedings. She said that the similarities of the LDS church and the FLDS beliefs were glaring. She said she saw the wheels turning as the LDS judge recognized how his ruling on this case against the FLDS would negatively impact his own LDS church. Now, Brenda had been subpoenaed to testify in the trial, and she had great hopes of seeing justice finally begin to be served with to her family um, and, and that they would be given some amount of freedom and protection. At the very least, she hoped that they wouldn't go hungry and that their food stamp benefits would finally go to them. But she said this is what happened instead. Then it all came crashing down. Suddenly there were ridiculous plea deals handed down. I was in shock. It made no sense. I called the lead prosecutor at the DOJ and asked him, what happened? He got angry and yelled at me over the phone. He told me I should be thanking him. Do you know how many hours I put into working on this case? I replied, you don't deserve thanks for that. That's your job. You got paid to do it. It's not like this was some personal favor. That's the way that <laughs> was treated. It's just, she never got an answer mm -hmm. as to why they never received a penalty for their crimes against the American taxpayers. Now, that was a $12 million food stamp fraud. Now compare a case of food stamp found in Illinois, a food stamp fraud found in Illinois, where a, gro a, a grocery store owner had defrauded the program of more than a million dollars. He was sentenced to 51 months in prison and ordered restitution to the tune of $1,750,000. The FLDS fraud case was $12 million, 12 times greater, and all they got was a sweet reprimand. There are many other cases in this country of food stamp fraud where fines and prison sentences were given, but not to Utah polygamists. Mm -hmm. 
we don't hold our breath that crimes within the polygamy groups are or will be prosecuted fairly or even at all. Incest is rampant in the Kingston group. Other groups also practice incest. The authorities know about it, but nothing is or has ever been done about it. The Utah legislature and all crime watchers need to realize that the polygamous doctrine is to bleed the beast. Their doctrines also proclaim that they live a higher law, so they will not and do not obey civil law that they disagree with. Brigham Young said it like this. <laughs> I, I Actually, I gasped when I read this. It just stands by itself. That Brigham uh -huh. said, I live above the law, and so do this people. Talking about polygamous Mormons mm -hmm. at that time. They mm -hmm. live above the law, and that's yep. the way they A law believe. unto themselves. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Today's polygamists still live by that statement, and the lawmakers fall for it. Instead of enforcing laws, we just change them to keep the polygamy groups happy so they can continue to harm the women and children who are born into the polygamous families. God help us. And finally, Brenda said this. When will Utah care about women and children instead of continually empowering the men who abuse and control them? I have absolutely zero hope or trust that anything is going to change. The state will still not prosecute crimes. With each crime they get away with, a with each crime they get away with, the polygamists become more emboldened and their victims learn that Utah won't save them. In fact, they'll hand you back and tell you to shut up and thank them. Oh, she's got good with her words. <laughs> <laughs> she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> she does. She's seen a lot of horrible things. When the bill passed the House, Rebecca Kimball, a former child bride and abused plural wife, said this. I enjoy Rebecca Kimball whenever I hear yeah, from her. I enjoy this. She is so animated. So reading this just the other day, it just, it just caught me. It's sad. It's against Utah's constitution and it's an act of deliberate ignorance. Polygamy taught me a person demands that you make sacrifices that he himself would never make. Sharing your one and only mate for eternity. Donate all your labor to God for the financial benefit of polygamist men. Sacrifice and live in poverty while he dresses like a nobleman, eats like a king, and travels like a first-class tourist. Promises you eternal salvation in heaven while you live in hell on earth. If polygamists really understood the power of God, they would know who they really are. They would stop seeking control of others and pray for self-control. They would stop threatening others and start acting on making their own positive contributions to humanity. Their behavior betrays their own inner ignorance. If they understood power, they would know that love is more powerful than fear. Caring is more powerful than condemnation, and actions speak louder than words ever will. Those caught up in polygamy should not walk away they should run. I can just see her saying that. <laughs> she's so emphatic. Yeah, she is. She's very bold in what she says, and that's so true. Uh, everything she said is true, and she experienced it all. So that's our update on polygamy in uh, the legal news. There's another one uh, coming up now about the Kingston Group and their $500 million biodiesel tax fuel credit. You'd think that we'd be over with, but somehow it's not. It was a scheme that some of the Kingston members ha had been involved in a few months ago. 
Jacob and Isaiah Kingston pled guilty after they were informed that the Kingston polygamy group itself would be brought into trial testimony. So rather than the secrets of the polygamy group be revealed in court, the two Kingston brothers pled guilty and they had previously pled innocent and they received their prison sentences. But there was a third person who was involved in this scheme who was not part of the Kingston group and was not a polygamist and did not plead guilty. So he went to trial and was found guilty. Jacob and Isaiah Kingston were witnesses against him. Now during the trial, Kingston testified that from the $500 million, they gave $30 million to the Kingston Polygamy Group Church. Wouldn't you like a $30 million gift? <laughs> if it was I don't know if I'd want that much no, money. No. <laughs> Especially you'd want it to be from safe there. money. Yeah. <laughs> we wonder, however, where that $30 million went because we know that it did not alleviate any of the poverty or the dumpster diving or the rundown housing that most members live in. We have a quote uh, from an, an article about this case. Yeah, this article is posted in the San Diego Union Tribune, uh, and and the the link it would be available, I think, probably it's on, on the website. Screen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, the article says a Utah polygamist says he gave nearly thirty million dollars from a biodiesel fraud scheme to the polygamist group to which he belongs. Jacob Kingston acknowledged on the stand that he and his brother both married cousins. Opening statements claimed that Kingston comes from an incestuous polygamous group that is always scheming to defraud the U.S. government in what the group calls bleeding the beast. A spokesman for the group, Kent Johnson, has called the allegations categorically false. And of, of course, course, of course, <laughs> they deny the abuses and the doctrine and their illegal activities. Of course they do. We were taught from the cradle to lie to the government, to anybody else who might ask us questions. We were threatened never to tell people on the outside what was going on inside the group. Lying for the Lord is a huge privilege for polygamists, just as it was for Joseph Smith. Of course, they deny everything. And our final news item is about women's suffrage. Now, we've talked about this before, <laughs> but it's been a big deal in Utah, mm -hmm. at least the beginning of this year. Billboards were placed throughout to the state bragging that Sarah Young was the first woman in the country to vote. Now, we're certainly happy that women can vote in their own country elections. We're happy about that. But the Mormons brag that they alone were progressive enough to be the first to allow women voting rights. Now, we've talked about this in past shows, but it's time to talk about it again, especially for those perhaps who aren't familiar with the unglorified Mormon history. Seraph Young is the name of the billboards, the name on the billboards, and she was the grandniece of Brigham Young and the first woman to vote February 14, 1870. On January 20th of 2020, the Deseret News published an article about it, but to make it complimentary to the Mormons, they left out some facts. We quote. <laughs> Many thought that if Mormon women could vote, they would vote against Mormon male leaders. They believed that Utah women didn't want to be there, that they didn't want to be living this way. Seraph Young and the rest of the women in Utah would confound all expectations in the years that followed and prove to be independent voters. They did not end polygamy with their votes. Instead, they voted in ever greater numbers and raised their voices in the public sphere in defense of their rights and their religion. Well, we're going to tell the truth story here because this is not absolutely the truth. 
Utah women were actually about to lose their right to vote because Congress was intent on stopping polygamy in the Utah Territory, but polygamists refused to obey the law. We've talked about that. They decided that taking away their right to vote would force them to obey the laws of the land and stop polygamy. We quote about Congress stripping the polygamists. Congress stripped all polygamous men and women of their right to vote in 1882. When that didn't have the desired effect and polygamy persisted, Congress basically decapitated the church. The Edmunds-Tucker Act of 1887 law seized the church's property and disincorporated the church. Okay, so that was one weapon that they used to get the Mormons to obey the laws of the land. So as a result, they gave up polygamy, they said, and they became a state in 1896. But they had lied. Church leaders married plural wives and officiated polygamous marriages until 1904, when they finally abandoned polygamy for real. But Fanny Stenhouse, who was a polygamous woman living in Utah during all these events, tells us the real story behind Utah's women's voting rights. Her book, Tell It All, tells us a lot. We quote, It will be a matter of interest to the advocates of women's suffrage to learn that Brigham Young conferred the franchise to vote upon the Mormon ladies. This at first appears to be a very liberal measure. But let not the innocent reader be deceived thereby. The opening of the mines and the great influx of Gentiles consequent upon the completion of the Union Pacific Railroad proved very clearly to Brigham that the day might come when the Gentiles would have an equality, if not a majority, of votes. And in that day, the slavish despotism of the Mormon priesthood would be overthrown. So Brigham Young was a smart man. And she doesn't mince words. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> oh, we've got some good ones coming for this. <laughs> so it, it was then that the bill passed in Utah allowing women voting privileges mm -hmm. because it was for their benefit for their women to vote. Now, on the surface, this might look good, but now we're going to look at motive and practice. We have another quote from Fanny. No Mormon woman would for a moment ever dream of voting otherwise than she was directed by her husband. And no man would think of voting except as he was counseled by the priesthood. Thus, a man with half a dozen wives would now have half a dozen votes. And Brother Brigham, instead of having only his own single vote, would have 19 for his 19 wives, to say nothing of his daughters and the whole army of spiritual wives, which he might produce. <laughs> it's a good scam, huh? Good pyramid okay. scheme there. Army of spiritual wives. <laughs> she, well, he said one time he didn't know how many wives he had. Uh, and so. that he would walk by them on the street and not know them. Yeah, and he did, yeah. yeah. And children, too. She said, Fanny said that, that one person would often vote two or three times to make sure that the Mormon church held on to their interests, and the voting ballots were numbered, by the way. The voters' names were carefully registered in a book next to the number of their ballot, so many of our viewers probably don't realize that it was not a secret ballot for the early Mormon voters. We have more from Fanny. The priesthood can tell at a moment's notice on which side or for whom a man has cast his vote. Anxious to obtain admission into the union as a state, it is the interest of Brigham Young and the leaders to swell the numbers of the population by every means in their power. For this, they have strained every nerve to bring over converts from abroad, and with the same object, to build up the kingdom, they have forced polygamy upon the people. 
the most unscrupulous measures have been resorted to, and it's even said that on one occasion when a goodly show of names was needed, not only were the names of the dead and of relations and converts who had never been in the country, they actually christened their mules, conferring upon them the names of men, and then made them vote also. And you know what? <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> I've seen so much underhanded <laughs> schemes going on. And that's the real story of women's suffrage in Utah. Yes, they could vote. No, they couldn't vote confidentially or go against the wishes of the dominating all-male Mormon priesthood. When you know the facts, it really isn't that much to brag about. Utah women's voting rights should have been accomplished a better way. So that's all of the polygamy in the news that we have this time. News is always happening. It kind of slowed down during this last couple of months, but something will pick up. It didn't. I don't think it slowed down. I think it just got overshadowed. It got overshadowed. All we were hearing about is the one thing. That's right. So. Yeah, you're right. Thank you, Dorothy. Appreciate your help. Thanks. It was fun to be here. <laughs> None of what we discuss on our show would even be relevant if the followers and believers in Joseph Smith would follow their own articles of faith and the Bible. Mormon articles of faith claim they believe in obeying the laws of the land and those who make the laws. The Bible says to obey our government leaders and laws of our own nation. Mormonism would be so different if they all believed what they say they believe. Jesus Christ alone is our Savior, by grace alone, and Mormonism doesn't even believe that. Thank you for watching. See you next time. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.